My guest today is Joe Eames. Joe is the CEO of Thinkster.io, where he works to improve online learning for developers. He also organizes ng-conf, react-conf, and the Framework Summit. He gives a lot of talks and workshops, is a Google developer expert, and loves board games, Dungeons and & Dragons, and Star Wars. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan. Glad to be here. Awesome. Yeah, we've, uh, you know, we go a little ways back. I, I think, you know, uh, kind of earlier days, maybe not the very earliest days of ng-conf is when we started mm -hmm. to, to get to know one another. And um, I, I'm, I'm glad you're here because I, I want to chat about uh, the whole ng-conf experience, lots of different aspects of it, you know, going back to the early days, what it was like starting it up, maybe some of the successes you saw from that, uh, maybe some of the things you did to follow up on that success and uh, and then also kind of hear about the challenges, you know, that that exist within the whole conference space. Um, also want to chat with you about Thinkster and uh, and hear what that's all about. So um, maybe tell us about maybe we can start with ng-conf. Tell us about ng-conf. How did that uh, get started in the first place? And uh, what what was the I guess what, what compelled you to, to go and, and organize one of the I guess probably the biggest conferences around our particular framework in the world now? Right. Yeah, uh, it was it was really an interesting um, like way that we started up. We were there was several of us, kind of uh, coworkers, all working at the same company, and Angular was getting starting to get popular. This was right around the 2011 2012 time frame. I don't remember the exact dates of when this happened, but uh, we were one day we were chatting, and uh, one of the there was there's a group of five of us. One of them had been running a local conference on javascript for a while and i'd helped out with that for a couple of years just as a super side helper and uh that person was so one of the five of us one day asked why isn't there a conference yet for angular and so um one of the group i, I had uh, been on a podcast and knew the angular team aaron frost who's also one of the five of us he also had know, knew the angular team because he was a gdg and so we said well why don't we reach out to the angular team and see if they'd support us you know doing a conference see if they'd attend and we did we did that and agreed and so there was there was actually four of us to start off with and i said hey we can't have an even number we need an odd number so we have a tiebreaker in case we have any like stalemates about mm -hmm. decisions and stuff such so let's get a fifth person and in, in the start the idea was somewhat like most community conferences are happen which is a bunch of people we had no thought to really make much in the way of money uh, or, you know, like profit and pay ourselves, we thought this is just going to be like for fun. Basically, the way that this community conference that the other guy had been running, which was Utah JS uh, conference, the way that that runs, which was, hey, we're just going to do a thing. People can show up. If there's money left over, we'll just save it for next year. And so, uh, and of course, the other thing that was pretty interesting was the five of us were all, hey, there's five of us. We're all going to go forward. We're all going to do help out. And it's just going to be hunky dory, you know, a grand utopia, everybody smiling and holding hands. And uh, there's going to be fields of flowers and rainbows and it's going to be <laughs> grand. And um, what, you know, the sh long story short, it was wildly successful, way beyond our wildest expectations. We also made a huge number of mistakes uh, initially. Now that I have a ton of experience doing the conference space, we made a huge number of mistakes of how I would start a new conference far more conservatively now than we mm. did that one. We we signed a half million dollar contract with a hotel, sure. uh, like the second nicest hotel in Salt Lake City. Mm. And uh, fortunately, we were we weren't required to sign our personal signature signatures mm. but we uh we still ended up at some point risking our houses on this idea um 
but it, it was just it was just crazy because everything just went perfect and went awesome. Mm-hmm. And so here we had this wildly fantastic. We sold to to kind of give you a clue. We ended up selling the tickets in two batches, and we had this hilarious moment where we'd looked at a lot of locations. We picked this nice hotel, and it was because of that. It was, there was a lot of expenses, and we were going to sell those first tickets, the early bird tickets, for six hundred fifty bucks. And we put I think a hundred of them, or maybe it was one hundred fifty up for sale. Um, and we told everybody about it. And I think one of the things that helped us out was, uh, you know, they say there's no such thing as bad press, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. We had this idea, you know, of course, diversity in uh, tech has long been a, a focus. So we had this idea, we want to help uh, get women to come. And so we're going to offer discounted tickets to women. But we don't want, uh, you know, men to uh, take advantage of buying these discounted tickets. So we were sure. going to purposely use a different colored lanyard to go with the tickets. And we we're going to color them pink. And oh my goodness, Hacker News got a hold of this and it just went nuts. So we were, you know, we're these five idiots that just don't even know how to try to do diversity in a tasteful manner. And uh, so it went nuts. And I think that actually was a big help because a lot of people were made aware of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, of course, the Angular team was helping with tweets and stuff. But when we finally put tickets on sale, right before that, like an hour before that, I got this call from one of the other people and said, everybody's saying online... And this this is for me was a good was a good lesson to learn. Everybody online is saying that our tickets are too expensive. Why would they pay six hundred and fifty dollars when most you know small conferences or a hundred they can go to conferences for a hundred or two hundred bucks? It's ridiculous. Blah blah blah. We got to change the ticket prices. We got to cancel our contract. The expensive hotel. We're going to go to this cheap like there was these fairgrounds that had this barn that they were going to mm-hmm. let us use. Right? It was ridiculous. It would have been a terrible experience if we'd done it. And we got to do this. We got to change the ticket price now before they go on sale and. And I was frustrated. I'd been doing all this work, meeting with the hotels and stuff. And I said, look, if that's what you guys want to do, I am out. I am not going to mm-hmm. go and meet in a barn and have a conference mm-hmm. in a barn. And we've, we've signed a contract. We committed to this. And fortunately, it came down to, again, the tiebreaker. The fifth person said, no, it's, it's too late to make a change. Two people wanted to reduce the ticket prices. Two of us didn't. And the fifth person said, it's too late to just change this all of a sudden. Let's just wait. This is like 10 minutes before tickets went on sale. Wow. 12 o'clock happens, tickets go on sale. We go over to, you know, hit the ticket sale button to look and see, you know, have we sold any tickets yet? And as we just refresh the page at basically exactly 12.01, all of our tickets were sold out. In the first minute. Yeah, in the first minute. Like, we looked at the analytics and it was literally 10 seconds where every ticket had sold out. Whoa. And s- we'd planned to sell the next section of tickets after, like, two more weeks. And so we told everybody, sorry, they all sold out. We put the other, like... 500, I think, or 400 tickets on sale <clears throat> two weeks later. And again, it was 10 seconds. Everything was sold out. And those Man. ones went for like 750 So I think there's a couple of really good lessons there. One, never listen to what the internet is saying when they say you're not, what you're doing is not going to work. People right. don't vote with their mouths. They vote with their wallets, mm-hmm. right? So never listen to what people will say they will or will not buy. I think it was a really good lesson for me to learn. And also the vocal minority is definitely a thing, especially on Twitter. And when people are telling you not to do something, that's a definite mm-hmm. vocal. That's nev- those are never good metrics to follow. Right. Um, also learning a little bit, there's no such thing as bad press is a, another good thing. But so after that, so here we have this wildly successful conference. We run it for a couple of years and, and, and I'm starting to finally learn. I had kind of sort of taken the lead with the conference and was doing a lot of the work. I, I, I quit my full-time job shortly after, bef- before even the first event happened, uh, somewhere after, shortly after those first tickets went on sale. And so I was part-time doing this and part-time doing other stuff, uh, authoring courses for Pluralsight. And um, after a couple of years, I said to myself, you know what? 
Uh, this is great. Like I'm, I'm loving um, this conference scene. I love the work. I enjoy it. I want to do more conferences and, mm-hmm. you know, and make more money. And and NGConf had grown so big that we had to start pulling salaries in order to pay for the amount of time and energy mm-hmm. uh, we were we were spending on it. Um, so I decided to. Somebody said there's no WordPress conference for developers for WordPress mm-hmm. developers. So me and a couple of other people we decided to put this together, and it was. This was, again, another great lesson for me. Success does not does not instantly mean that you know what you're doing. <laughs> okay. Yep. Yep. Right? In fact, well, I'd say <laughs> success does not mean that you know what you're doing. Right? right. Success means does not mean that you have figured out the formula. Hmm. And uh, I learned a, a really hard lesson through trying to start up a WordPress conference. Then there was a multi-framework conference we called the Framework Summit, which was about Angular, React, and Vue. And several, a couple of other conferences we tried to start up. In each case, it was actually really, really hard. I thought, oh, the conference scene is easy, and mm-hmm. there was plenty of profit in it, so I could do this and and make really good money. You know, make a lot more than I could as a developer. And I quickly discovered that was definitely not the case. And that yeah. luck just plays a huge role. We we were the first Angular conference. Angular was going crazy at the time, mm-hmm. right? And even though there was lots of tech conferences at the time, people were looking for an Angular conference. Mm-hmm. We had the Angular team there to promote for us. We had lots of free marketing over Twitter. And the, the community is somewhat tight-knit, so we got our, our word out very easily. Even trying to replicate that was not successful over in WordPress, over in this multi-framework idea. Mm-hmm. Luck, being at the right place at the right time is a really important part of entrepreneurial success. And I, I hate to word, use the word luck because I think you create luck, right? Mm-hmm. Preparation, knowledge, experience, that creates opportunity or what we often call luck. Being able, having the resources to execute on an opportunity when it comes along, those are all really what we call luck, but being at the right place at the right time is a really, really important part uh, of having success with uh, some business venture. And that doesn't mean that, uh, like, look real recently, Mm Hey.com. From everything that I know about Hey.com, it's wildly successful. And if you Mm -hmm. were to, a year ago, say, hey, you know what's going to be a great business idea? Beating Gmail at their game. A free email, the, f- the best email client we've ever seen, and it's free. We're gonna, somebody should go and beat them and charge money for it. Mm-hmm. And I would, you, everybody would say that's ridiculous and crazy. And yet, ac- apparently, DHH and Jason, they're just killing it with hate. Everybody loves hate.com. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and, that's a very interesting case because I think there are, my sense, and I, I don't know too much of, of what's out there, but <clears throat> excuse me, my sense is that there are other products out there that kind of do what hey.com does and have mm-hmm. you know surfaced over the years wanting to essentially do the same thing but i think like hey.com has so many things going for it which creates this atmosphere this this um environment in which they can be successful yeah. i mean when you look at it like you've got you've got obviously the popularity that dhh has and, and mm-hmm. the history that he's got uh, along with jason um but but they they've attached to this product such a a, a, a visceral story behind its the why essentially right like the the reason yep. that it, it should exist and and uh and they they've really promoted that before i mean i mean long before we saw any glimpses of what the product even looked like we were we were given the story only right we were given we were yeah. given a, a web page with words to read about it about the product and what it will be 
So I, I definitely think story plays a, a large role there. Um, I'd love to circle back and, and touch on some of the things that you chatted about uh, for NGConf and, and maybe maybe try to like dig into some particulars about what helps make it successful. I mean, we, we talk about luck playing yeah. the large part here. Um, if, you, if you look at it, like if you were to look at the history, were there like was there one, two, three? Were, were there any particular things that you think were main ingredients to create that environment of luck, that um, sort of atmosphere where it, it could take off and be successful? Was it like the Angular team being there? Was it uh, location? You know, was it was it in any of those dimensions, or or was it all just everything working together? Um, yeah, so I did. I would attribute the Angular team to being a really key port, point. Having their success was a really key part of it, and um, or having their support was a really key part of the success. Uh, if nothing else, just for the promotion aspect of it, them promoting, but also they made it because they sent so many of their members. I we this was very common that a lot of people thought that Google and the Angular team was actually organizing ng-conf. Right. Yeah. So there was there was a really close tie. So that was I think was very important. Location I don't think was very important. We we happened to do mm. it in Salt Lake and. One of our goals initially, early on, was let's promote Utah as a good tech center, right? We have a mm -hmm. lot of tech here, and they call it the Silicon Slopes. And the reality is there's Silicon Valley, and then there's probably 10 places in the U at least the U.S. And if you open it up to the world, there's 40, 30, or 20 or something. But there's probably 10 places in the U.S. which have a really hot tech scene. Mm -hmm. But they're so far behind Silicon Slopes, but they're all kind of this tied for a very distant second place. And Utah's probably one of those places. Mm -hmm. um, but we wanted to promote Utah and bring people here and let them see that one, it's a beautiful state, and two, we have a vibrant tech scene. So we chose to do it here, but I think that has very little to do with our success. We've chosen Vegas because the flights were cheaper for conferences, mm -hmm. and that has something to do with it. But I don't think that those were really super main ingredients. Uh, another key s recipe of success, I think, was our organizing team. Uh, the five of us, one, we knew the technology and very, very, very well. We were advanced enough in our careers that we also had a lot of connections uh, to the wider world as well. We were, I mean, I, I was able to uh, reach out to John Papa and get John right. Papa to come and and speak and Dan Wallin, I knew those people, which were big players in the, uh, ultimately became very big players in the Angular community. Um, so I think our connect our connections to the world, right? One of the the only reason to go to an Ivy League school is for who you meet. It's not what you learn. Right. Right? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> uh, so I think who we knew and uh, our connections to the Angular team certainly helped uh, grease those skids as well. So the, our technical knowledge, I wouldn't say our business acumen because I don't think we really had much in the way of business acumen. We had somebody mm -hmm. who'd run a little community conference, and that what he had learned, I don't think really was very was a super valuable aspect. What it did do, the one thing it did is it gave us a false sense of confidence. Which is, now, I've heard that's important in many cases. Yeah, right? yeah. I, you've heard all these, you've probably heard that there's a lot of studies showing that people who do engage in entrepreneurship tend to be more optimistic and feel like they have more control than the average human being does, right? Control over their life. So optimism is really, uh, and confidence is really important. In the in this case, looking back, I realized we had confidence that we didn't deserve, but it was still important. We wouldn't have probably done this if we hadn't had the confidence that we could run um, a conference. It turned out that everything that we really needed to know, we actually learned during the process, and none of the stuff that we came into it knowing about running a conference was particularly valuable. Right. But that confidence was was key you know right answer for the wrong reason is still the right answer yeah there you go 
so I think that was a very uh, key recipe to success. Um, those are those are probably the things that I think are the were the big elements to success. Um, was doing the were, were those elements. Nice. And so maybe we could touch on, um, you, you mentioned the WordPress conference. If I remember correctly, that was the one that got shared with the, with NG Vegas, right? Was that the one yeah, that I'm thinking of? You're correct. I, yeah, exactly. So I, so I guess the first thing I'll say about that is that was, I want to say thank, even though it, it sounds like it didn't work out as well. Thank you for doing it because that, that conference in particular I went to and it happened to be a pivotal um, moments in my career. That's where I really? met uh, Gonto uh, from Osseo. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And my connection to him there, uh, actually, I guess I didn't really, yeah, I met him there. I it just like, I saw his talk and we shook hands or whatever. Briefly met him. But it was through that connection months later where Osseo was starting to hire that I sort of made that little connection with him uh, as he had announced that they're looking for content creators, et cetera. And so that was my sort of entry point into what ended up being a jump into the tech industry. I was in, I was working in government before, right? And mm-hmm. so, uh, so anyway, all that to say, I appreciate you you putting on that conference. That it was it was very pivotal, at least for me. Um, but maybe we could chat about the aspects of it that didn't go um, as desired, I suppose, and maybe right. what what some of those reasons could be. Location's an interesting one because arguably Vegas is a good spot to put a conference on. Cheap right. flights, uh, you know, everybody wants to go to Vegas or a lot of people do anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, talk to me about ngconf slash the WordPress conference that was, was going on there and, and what was uh, what were some of the reasons it didn't do so well? Yeah, um, and as a side note, I love hearing these stories about, uh, to me, I think that's really the best aspects of conferences is how they change people's careers uh the connections that you make Uh, not so much exactly the technology that you learn absolutely but uh so we we we'd already been doing ngconf for two years wildly successful we just decided i believe to move ngconf to a bigger venue and double the size which again we did that and it, it was more instant sellouts uh, even after doubling the size. So we, we were full of ourselves, and, and certainly me, several of my partners by this time, they were still busy, and they, even though they liked the conference work, but I was very entrepreneurial-minded at the time. I wanted to move this forward. So myself and one of the other partners from NGConf, we brought on two, we, we met two other people, one of which was very well-connected. Um, this person is was in some ways, you might say, he's kind of like the John Papa of the WordPress development world, right? Okay. Uh, very well connected in the WordPress development world, and it was his idea. And so uh, the four of us, we we felt like, again, we had the recipe for success. We have the person who knows not only the technology, but knows all the people, all the major mm-hmm. players, and was going to get every major player to come and speak. And that did happen. We we found, you know, well, I wouldn't say every major player. There's no such thing as getting every major player, but many of the major players to come and give talks. Uh, we picked a location we thought was really great. The price was pretty good. It mm-hmm. was... Um, you know, right in that, th- on a per day basis, the two to 300 and the, the hotels were cheaper. So it made it a lot more affordable for companies to send their employees, yeah. um, even than NGConf was. Uh, again, a great location, but we, we moved it way off the strip. So it wasn't going to be like gambling and and, yeah. and, and and that sort of thing. It was still going to be able to be a good event. And it, the venue was awesome. We did all this and we, we put it all up and just the ticket sales just weren't coming in. Yeah. And, you know, in retrospect to try to, I don't know that we could have been successful. It just was a matter of when it comes to, I think, WordPress, uh, companies sp- sending their developers to learn new web- WordPress development is not a particularly high priority. Mm. Uh, whereas with Angular, everybody was anxious to get their developers to have more knowledge. And 
conferences are an interesting thing because developers somewhat wag the dog. We kind of, as developers, we find, oftentimes find conferences and then bring it to our boss and say, all right, I want you to send me this. Mm-hmm. And if there's a budget to send you to conferences, they'll kind of send you where they want to go. And for some reason, I, I do, I, I guess, and again, I'm not a WordPress developer, so I don't know, but maybe WordPress developers just don't look at this and say, I really want to go to a WordPress developer conference and meet other WordPress developers. It might be that yeah. they're doing it kind of part-time and the number of full-time WordPress developers is small. Whatever the reason was, we just didn't have it figured out. Even though we followed the same recipe, mm-hmm. we picked a different topic at a different time. And we, so we weren't the right people at the right time in the right place in that case. Right. That's really what it comes down to. So the, N, the NG Vegas that we uh, shared, the same venue, that was we literally threw that together in two months because we were we were going to fail this conference. When you, mm-hmm. when you go to a, a hotel, you have these contracts to fill a certain number of rooms and if you don't you're you have to pay for it and if you can't pay for it up front they don't let you in the door you like you can't come and have your conference so we were going to like literally be refunding people i was going to destroy the reputation of this person so i had this idea let's do an an angular conference we had enough room in the hotel we do one at the same time at the same place uh and that's what we did. And, and in two months, we whipped to get an Angular conference and sold, you know, a couple 300 tickets to that and had these two conferences side by side. And it worked out. Uh, but it was, again, just a, a, a bit of luck. Um, mm-hmm. At the time, there were stu- we, people were still hungry for more Angular conferences. Yep. So um, it worked out. But, yeah, same recipe, but mm-hmm. different timing <clears throat> turned into not yeah. the instant success. Right? That's so interesting, eh? It's like... Yeah. I think we tend to, to to think that we can establish a pattern, establish a recipe, a playbook that will just work mm-hmm. every time we, we execute on it, right? But there's so much that's out of our control. There's so many factors that are that can be at odds with success. And I guess that's like the million, that's always the million dollar question, right? Is like, how do you establish, like, what are the factors that you should be focusing on that, that would make something successful? I mean, that's uh, the mystery of that, and I, I guess, is why you know, competition is what it is and businesses drum on. But, uh, but that's, that's interesting, right? There's, there's like no kind of guarantee. There's no guarantees in this, I guess, is what right. we, can, we can sum it up as. Um, yeah. Yeah. I look at that and feel the same way. Don't, don't look at it as a guarantee. And if you, you know, they, if you, you've heard the phrase, uh, a little knowledge is dangerous, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Or uh, the same thing, a little experience is dangerous. I had a little experience. I had two years yeah. of running one conference. And that was very dangerous because it made me think that I could just do it. Yeah. Nowadays, I, I still do start up new conferences, but I try to start them up smarter. I start them up small enough that if they fail, they won't ruin m- me financially. They won't ruin my reputation. Yeah. Uh, that sort of thing, be smarter about mitigating risks while still taking those experiments. So I look at entrepreneurship as it's an experiment. You can't not yeah. guarantee success, but it's still worth it, you know, depending on your attitude and your place in life and yeah. uh, how much you have to invest. It's still worth it to try because if it is successful, it's great. And if it's not successful, you can mitigate the what you lose and move on and try again uh, at another yeah. time and another place. Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what, uh, I mean, NGConf has continued to be successful. It's gone on mm-hmm. since the, the early days. It's still going. Um, this year, of course, was the anomaly because of the coronavirus. Right. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Maybe we can touch on that, some of the experiences you, you had going through that. But what um, what do you do, if anything, to kind of help to make sure that 
ng-conf continues to be successful? I mean, we can't always anticipate or a guarantee of any kind of success, but is there anything that you do in particular that sort of helps to, you know, beat the odds, I suppose? Yeah, um, I think we're probably gonna learn a lot from COVID this year and what that does to business, but uh, certainly one of the things that we have done and or continue to do a little bit better is, is underspend so that never look for the maximum growth that you possibly can get mm-hmm. because that is that is essentially what led to the downturn of uh, the housing market in 2006 is everybody was yeah. you know we were everybody's going after the maximum possible growth mm-hmm. always under hit and, and keep some resources around for if things don't go according to plan if things go worse or you have some crazy thing like you know like COVID is killing a lot of businesses. The businesses, the first ones to go are the ones that had zero in the, you know, rainy day fund, right? Yeah, no margin. Uh, yeah, so always underspending a little bit. So we have, there, there's there's something there to deal with. All right, we need to have some time, money, resources, et cetera, to, to try to make a shift and adjustment and pivot. Um, I also think it's going to be interesting because now we're doing more online conferences. This is a secret that hasn't been announced, but... Uh, I'm, uh, this is an unofficial, non-secret announcement to all of your listeners. They're going to hear about this before anybody else. But there's going to be uh, NGCOF is in the middle of putting on a fall online event. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah, so we're we're branching out into, well, what, could we also do online events? I believe, I love the in-person event for the reason that we talk about. But yeah, yeah. taking advantage of the hardships, these, these, these roadblocks and learning from them and saying, well, we can also pivot into doing online stuff as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, could... Assuring continued success, in my opinion, the number one thing was never being so overly aggressive that if things don't go exactly to plan or your growth rates don't continue to be exactly what they have been, yeah. that it doesn't destroy you. Yeah. Right? That's my that's my that's my number one favorite piece of that I think I've learned is to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing is to never rest uh, on what you're doing. If you found a success that works, continue to experiment, but in now in small ways. Now we experiment in small ways. We try this, yeah. we try that. We might, you know, is location key? We might try moving locations. Um, but also continuing to experiment so that uh, I'd rather spend some of my money, you know, by potential profit, experimenting to potentially secure the future than mm-hmm. to maximize every last penny and, uh, you know, have just a shorter period of success that then you know declines into um lack of success after some amount of time yeah totally that's cool um so i mean we could go on and on chatting about conference stuff i want to get to uh, your i guess more more of your latest stuff which is thinkster.io maybe before we get there though one thing I, i've always wondered about conferences and, and being an organizer in particular um especially when you're you know in the trenches of the the business side of it um, what's like, what are the, the difficult kind of emotional aspects of that? Is there like a, anything in particular, maybe it's from like an actual experience or <clears throat> an experience or whatnot, but, um, like what is it emotionally that, that, that's difficult about organizing a conference in particular? Um, yeah, great question. Um, what on the converse side of that, I think in my opinion, conferences are some of the most fun work I could do. It's just, yeah. It's a lot of fun preparation, and then the event is just tons of people having a great time. It's practically like planning a party, yeah. right? So I love that aspect of it. And the week of NG Comp for me is usually 110 hours during those seven-day period. That's it's usually <laughs> over six days, right? Jeez. Yeah, it's like 17, 18 hours days every day for six straight days. Um, so I I really love 
but but yet as much as it's just tons of work i love it but there is absolutely a hard part i have um you know broken down and actually bald um Hmm. out of uh, negative from negative experiences happening at ngconf and those all center around the fact that you are going on you're very 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 public more public than a lot of other businesses would be far more public mm-hmm. than thinkster even though um i talk to a lot more pe- I, I email a hundred thousand people on a regular basis once twice a week but ngconf which is only 1500 people showing up and a few thousand people watching online and you know, several tens of thousands of people being involved in some way, watching videos and stuff. It's far more public. A conference is super, super, yeah. super public, and so that scrutiny um, around diversity and inclusivity, and um, is really, really high. So any misstep is punished really heavily. Which mm-hmm. I don't. I, I honestly, I think that's a good thing, right? Of mm-hmm. all the things that I could do for inclusivity and, do, and diversity in the in the tech world. What I am able to do at NGConf is, to me, some of the most meaningful and impactful stuff that I can do. Yeah. But it can also be hard because you get held to a really high standard, and and you also get held to fifty different high standards, and you can't mm, yeah. meet anyone. Like uh, when we're asking the questions about gender, we will have people come out and say, "Hey, you know, you could ask better questions about gender and here and do this." And so we do that, and then the very next day we'll get an email: "You are horrible people because you're asking the wrong questions about gender." Right. So yeah. there's no, you know, trying to solve these issues. So for us, definitely my, my lowest point was one experience where I had to meet with somebody who was really hurt. hurt. And this was kind of a, a very angry out per, outbursting, you know, uh, of somebody who really held us to an unreasonably high standard. Mm-hmm. But we met with this person to try to, um, and when I say unreasonably, they didn't think it was unreasonable. I look at it and think, well, I think you were being unreasonable with us. But nonetheless, they just held us to a high standard and criticized us very publicly and ended up yeah. in this kind of public thing. And we met with them to, and the meeting was relatively successful, but it was also hugely emotionally draining for me. And yeah, afterwards I, I like, I like broke down and just like cried for like five Oof. minutes yeah. just uh, from the, the, the stress of having to meet with somebody who really hated me at the moment yeah, yeah. and uh, to, to try to diffuse that situation. And afterwards things got a lot better um, with that person and they, uh, they, they, saw a little bit what we were doing and we were able to respond to some of their concerns and things were great. But that I, to me was the ha- is the hard part about a conference is mm-hmm. you're, you're very public and you have, you, you have to take a lot of, there's social responsibility involved and you have to take a lot of that. Otherwise you're uh, doing a disservice to the community. Right, so yeah. for me, that was the hard part. Yeah, man, that's a, that's tough. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, well, on that, uh, maybe maybe it's not a happy note, but you, you've you've mentioned many happy things within the whole realm of NGConf, so thank you for for going there. Um, let's let's move now. We'll chat about uh, your your more recent stuff, Thinkster.io. Uh, Thinkster is all about uh, teaching you how to be a better developer. Um, it's all about. I mean, you 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 can give the pitch. I'm giving uh, what I know about <laughs> it, but it's. Uh, it's a uh, it's a platform for for um, basically learning learning stuff in the programming world. Uh, so tell me about Thinkster. How and I I'd love for you. I, I kind of know a bit of the story, but tell tell the listeners how you happened upon Thinkster because if uh, people are familiar, Thinkster was started previously by uh, by some different people, and and you've taken it over. So so give us that story. Yeah. So. Um I was doing ngconf and I was doing plural site authoring for plural site full time for something like six ish years uh, and so I was really just in the area of education and at the same time, I was reading a lot about 
actually about educational science, and I was seeing problems in the education industry. And then it just so happened Pluralsight was changing their pay structure to make it so that it wasn't as valuable for me to spend time authoring courses for Pluralsight. And so I was looking, I, I, I felt very entrepreneurial minded. I was looking, well, what am I going to do? You know, am I going to continue authoring courses? Am I going to start self-publishing? Am I going to go do something totally different? I played around with buying, f- the idea of buying franchises, looking at, you know, getting an SBA loan of buying franchises. And okay. I, was, I was still very heavily involved in some podcasts. I think it was um, Adventures in Angular. And we had the stack blitz. Uh, it was uh, Albert Pye and Eric uh, Simons. Man, I got to double check his last name. I talk to him all the time. Simons, yeah, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Eric Simons. Okay. Uh, they were on and they had talked about that they had started Thinkster and then they built stack blitz as a tool for Thinkster and they spun it off into its own company and it was just going crazy. And so uh, after we the podcast, I just said, hey, can we just sit and chat about Thinkster and what you guys are doing with Thinkster? And we did. And originally, I think I was approaching them saying, hey, maybe I should come on. And, you know, you guys are, they were basically said they were just ignoring it and letting it uh, die on the vine. And I was kind of thinking to myself, well, maybe um, I could come on and like run it for you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it would be perfect for me because it's an online subscription for online courses, just like Pluralsight was. So I'd be doing the same type of tasks, but I could leverage what I'd learned at NGConf. As, as, as the president over there and the entrepreneurial stuff, I kind of think of conferences as sort of enter, as a entrepreneurship light, you mm-hmm. know? It's one event. It only happens once every year. So you don't, even though I might think about it a little bit, it's not like I'm dealing with uh, a monthly P&L, right? Right. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, it's, so there's a lot fewer aspects to it. So I th- felt like I was ready to kind of, do this and through our conversations we just ultimately decided that I would uh, purchase it from them so I had to go out and go through the process of getting an SBA loan which the bank told me would take two months and it took nine and oh wow (laughs) yeah it was uh it was a really interesting experience, and I hired my first employee, and uh, I kind of that that was essentially the but that was it. That was how I came across. Was just it was a chance meeting, and again, the, the lesson that I learned from there was anytime I hear somebody doing something interesting, the oper- the just take a moment and say, hey, I'd love to hear more about what you're doing, because maybe there's some opportunity for me to help out with what you're doing or mm-hmm. some opportunity for us to synergize. So that, uh, that idea of just always reaching out to people and saying, let's just have a chat and see what you're doing, what I'm doing. And I've had many conversations that at the end of it, there was absolutely nothing for us to collaborate on, but it was still an interesting conversation and I got to meet people. The connections that you make, you know, the people that you meet, that is by far one of the most valuable things you can have, whether that's yeah. meeting other students at your boot camp, right? Because mm-hmm. Don't and never look at it as ladder climbing. If the mm. minute you start thinking who who's powerful that I can become friends with, that is the worst thing to ever do. Absolutely. Instead, show true interest in everything that everybody's doing, and that will lead to the real opportunities. People can tell when you're ladder climbing and you're just trying oh, to yeah. kiss kiss a butt and and, yeah. and you know, oh that guy's a VC and controls a lot of money. I, a, a thousand people do that to him every day. He could tell. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. It's it's so true. I, I've been to conferences and had the experience where like you're talking to somebody and they're kind of, you can tell they're half interested in you, and then they're always looking over your shoulder as they're talking to you, mm-hmm. seeing who who else is more important in the room. <laughs> I've, yeah, I, I've been there. I've seen that happen. So yeah, I, I'm right there with you. You know, be 
the, I think the right way to network is just to be genuinely interested in what everybody's doing and let serendipity happen where it may. I think that's that's the the approach that I've I've found to be the I mean the the best for many reasons, but it's just it's the honest one, right? That's it's yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You and I met. We uh, we became uh, acquaintance friends, conference friends, I call it, right? Yep. And uh, then I started up. I took over Thingster and I really needed content and I saw you were doing content. It was like, boom, I can send an email to Ryan and say, yeah, hey, Ryan, can I license some of your content? Which was really critical to Thingster at the time that we we had nothing, everything was two years out of date. So mm-hmm. finding people like you that it was like, hey, can I put some of your content over here and sell it for you? And, you know, I think yeah. I, 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 I may have uh, paid you enough to buy several tacos with... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the tacos were delicious. The, <laughs> the tacos were good. Fees. Yeah, so that, that's, that stuff is so critical to, to um, make... Make good acquaintance friends. Uh, yep, everywhere. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. What's um? So what what's what's in the future for Thinkster? Like what's uh what's going on? What are you working on in particular there? Um, what are are you are you guys working on anything brand new for the platform? Um, tell me the story of where it's where it's going. Yeah, we're we, we just launched. We just almost made a little bit of a little tiny bit of a pivot, but we just launched a big huge Angular Fundamentals course, and cool. so I've done. You know, like this is like my third Angular Fundamentals course that I've created now, um, and this one's 13 hours long, 190 lessons. But you know what we do at Thinkster, what we try to do that's different from everywhere else out there is apply educational science to the education with lots mm-hmm. of hands-on exercises and stuff. And we haven't met the, the success of Thinkster that I was hoping to meet. And so it's funny because sometimes it's the challenges that lead to the biggest successes. Yeah. So things were going, things haven't been going nearly as well as I was, I was wanting and hoping and uh, hit some like dark points of, man, I'm, I'm frustrated that we aren't seeing the success that I thought we would see. I thought this would be a slam dunk and it's not. Again, good, good uh, advice that even if you line up everything, right? I have entrepreneurial yeah. experience. I'm super uh, knowledgeable about how to author courses. And, you know, so I can do the, I can build the product and I can run the business and you put those two things together and it's a very vibrant market. Online Mm -hmm. education is a very vibrant market. It's growing at a phenomenal rate and yet it still doesn't necessarily turn into instant success. But so what we did was, uh, we were, I built this huge Angular course that was going to rescue us. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to shoot for the moon. So we decided to make it free. Nice. So this this one whole course is free. So out there you can find two, three, four hour courses on YouTube that are free, but they're very the quality, at least of everything that I've seen, is really on the low end of yeah, can be spotty. an online course. Yeah. Um, people that are doing stuff right are people like you that you put out free small pieces of content and then you, and you keep that really important stuff somewhere for somebody to acquire, usually behind a paywall. We decided to do something crazy and and put, a, you know, if, if I gave this course to Pluralsight, they'd make 10 million bucks off of it. Ooh, and uh, that's, that's, that's not an exaggeration. That's actually based off of my own numbers on yeah, looking yeah. at the lengths of the, of the things that I had and what Pluralsight probably made off of my previous uh, Angular mm-hmm. Fundamentals courses. So this is like 10 million for there. We're giving it away for free to just try to get people to know about Thinkster and come over. And then we have other stuff that they can buy. But this is our sort of Hail Mary of let's do something amazing and get a production quality course, but let's just make it free. So that's that's uh, our strategy right now and nice. uh, what we're what we're try- what we're working on to execute and make that, yeah. you know, take this and get it out to people. And it's been successful yeah. so far. Hopefully it continues to be. 
That's great, man. Yeah, I, I, whenever I talk to folks who are interested in getting into doing online courses, wanting to author courses or write a book or something, my first advice is always like, give them something really valuable for free. And that's going to build that trust relationship with the, you know, the end user, the, the reader, whatever you want. Um, that, that that's going to be a super valuable thing is, you know, you, you've got this thing that you're giving them all this value for free. And then you start to build that trust and, and sort of like need for reciprocity later, right? Mm -hmm. That's what those who are, you know, writing books on this topic will tell you is like, <clears throat> you've got after a while, if you're listening to somebody's stuff, if you're watching their videos and then they're getting that all for free, and then you've got something to offer that's a paid product, they've got this sort of like psychological need to reciprocate on what you've you've given them. So they, they want to actually uh, pay for it. Um, you know, we, we've all heard stories about people purchasing a course and never watching a, a single video right, it, right? but right. I think if you if you traced it back and you, and you look at some of these like really popular course authors my my suspicion is that like a lot of people who buy their courses they're buying it because they're made by those people right yeah it's it's like a especially if you look at stuff like Kent's doing like Kent C. Dodds he's, he's giving so much content away for free so this like sense of reciprocity, I think that people have when, mm -hmm. whenever he does have a paid product is, is, is pretty huge. So I think that's great. Like that's, I, I think that'll do really well for you having this, this free product and, you know, and then you've get, you've got people interested in, in purchasing your, your paid stuff, which will provide even more value for them. So I, I think that's awesome what you're doing. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. yeah that's a really lot of hard work for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I've been there. You know, I, I just went through this uh, publishing this recent course on, on React stuff, React security stuff, and uh, it was it was a lot of hard work. Lots of uh, lots of evenings and weekends leading up to this this recent launch. And so I I feel you. There's uh, it's it's a, it can be a bit of a grind when when you're making a long course. But I guess my my takeaway from it now that it's launched is you know the best way to get there is just one foot in front of the other that's kind of you've probably experienced that too where it's like oh this is going to take a long time i got to trudge through and just like as long as you keep putting that one foot in front of the other you you eventually get there yeah right totally <clears throat> totally um so with with uh thinkster maybe we could talk about um some of the reasons why you figure it uh, hasn't gotten to that success point that you, you've uh, hoped that it would, would get to. I, I'm curious about, are there any kind of, I, I mean, I know it's, it's always difficult to like pin, like there, you know, there, there's a million things you could sort of pull on to try to, to, to point fingers at as to why it hasn't done what you would like it to do. But is there, is there anything in particular that comes to mind? And I, and I guess I ask maybe for, you know, for the listener, if there's anybody who's thinking about putting out an online course, um, doing something that is an education product of any sort, um, is there anything now that you've learned that you would recommend or not recommend that, uh, that, that people be mindful of uh, when going down the road that you went down? Yeah, uh, interesting question. And uh, firstly, as, as an aside, if anybody out there is thinking about uh, starting and do, doing online courses, uh, we actually have a big, huge online course on how to do online technical courses. Awesome. So uh, it's free if you come an author for us. And if you don't come an author for us, then it's it's a paid course. But my DMs are open. People can always reach out to me or uh, there's, a, there's a raise challenge about it because I did my first course and I actually got a $10,000 raise out of my next job simply because wow. I published a course. So I believe That's in cool. course publishing simply as a method to advance your career, whether or not you feel like, oh, I want to be a long-term. You've seen this. You publish a course on something and people instantly see you as an expert in that subject, 
right? Yeah, even though you've like, you well, at least I have never considered myself an expert in, in such right. topics. It's like the, the minute you, the minute you even like put the smallest amount of content out about something, let alone a whole course, you're like suddenly, he's the guy, he's, she's the girl, like, you know what I mean? There's like a, people point to you as, as the expert. I've experienced right. that for sure. And it really, it really sets you apart from, you know, other developers as well when you're looking for jobs. So for me, it, it led to a, a, a huge raise. So we have like a 10k-raise.dev is like our $10,000 raise challenge. We come, take, the, take our course, uh, publish a course with us, and then we guarantee you a $10,000 raise at your job. And if not, we'll cool. refund you all the costs. So That's kind cool. of a, yeah, kind of a fun uh, a thing out there to basically I, I'm putting it out there follow my same pattern if it doesn't work for you then you don't have to pay anything if it does work for you 10,000 is a lot better than the I think we charge 500 bucks for the course but it's a yeah, ton totally. better than the $500 you would have paid for the you paid for the course but um, the reasons why I think Thinkster hasn't been as successful as I was hoping and you talked about it as far as the you know self-publishing uh, what we're doing is a quite a bit different from self-publishing I mean yeah. we've now trained over 150 authors to, to author courses for us. So really this, I, if I look at why Thinkster has yet to uh, see the success that I was hoping, that's more about entrepreneurial stuff. And I, honestly, I think it comes down to two things, taking more time in establishing a consistent product and then marketing and putting out that message really well. We haven't mm -hmm. executed well on that. That's, and we've, what we have done is we've experimented 10 different things and none of those things were the magic ingredient, but consistency matters. But at that lesson, the consistency matters, have a consistently good product and putting out a, a, a relatively consistent message. That I think is a key to success. Even if you are deciding to self-publish, you're going to go start up your own YouTube channel and teach people about some aspect of programming that you want to do, or you're going to become Ryan Chanky and become wildly successful at React security, whatever that pattern, what that model is, it's not going to be, don't look at it as it's going to happen overnight. How long would you say you've been building up what you're doing with your online courses? Yeah. I mean, years, right? Like it's been yeah. years in the making. Um, and and you know, like you could, I, I could look at the the course that I just put out and and put like a time frame on it from maybe when I first started, actually like first video of the free course to last video of the paid course. You know, that's maybe like two or three months, something something like that. But getting to the point where I can crank out, I mean, and so how many videos are in that? 150, 160, something like that. Getting wow. to the point where I can crank them out and edit to the, edit at the speed that I need to to do that within like a two month time span. I think it's like two two months, two and a half months or something. Um, that takes years of building, right? Like that's that's mm -hmm. years of of experience and and just like you know going through the motions and making content. It, it takes a long time to to get to that point where you and can that's do just it quickly. That's just the expertise. Think about the time that you spent building up your credibility. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Excuse me, your credibility as. Uh, an author who produces good quality content and all those like as you were taught speaking before you build that credibility up and then you can leverage it but you can't just start off that's one nice thing about publishing with other people is they you're, you're you get to uh, skate on their tail, coattails I guess yeah. right along on their coattails of credibility right that they're putting out your content so it gives you that instant credibility but if you get to self-publish you need to build up that credibility and give yourself sure, a, couple, yeah. a couple a minimum of a couple of years but Look at somebody like Ryan, who's been at it for five years. I've been at this for 
Well, you said years. You didn't say how many. I don't know. It was at least five, right? Yeah. I mean, I started doing content like video stuff back in 2017. So, I mean, four-ish. Four. Okay. Yeah. It was like, yeah. It's like at least three and a half or something like that. Um, anyway, right. Something like that. Long time of just being patient, right? Yeah. And the rewards come. They come if, if you're patient and consistent, but building up yeah. that credibility. So, that would be my advice is build up credibility. I do... I highly espouse publishing with other people, which is why we are all, yeah. we are, you know, we work really hard to make it easy for people to come and publish with us. And we have this training course that is exactly what I was hoping. When I, when Pluralsight brought me on as an author, they said, go watch somebody else's course and just do what they do. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> right. That was my training. Uh, you know, we have a big 10 hour course where we walk people through the entire process to learn all the skills. But, um, Getting the skills is only half the thing, getting the credibility. And that's why I do like publishing with other people because you get their credibility. But then on your own, on the side, you could be building up your YouTube channel, building up your credibility, doing things, yeah. going, work, volunteering for the community, work, going at meetups, helping organize meetups and speaking at meetups and just build up that credibility if, you're gonna, if you want to self-publish. But don't totally. just assume that if you build a great product and, and just stick it somewhere, that that's going to meet the success because people, you need to build that audience up um, or, yeah. or, or, uh, leverage somebody else's audience the way that I did with Pluralsight, right? Yep. Um, one or the other. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's that's cool. What, how do you, I guess, you know, we, we might want to start thinking about wrapping up soon. I know we're at the hour mark, but um, maybe before we do, we could talk about uh, how do you look at competition in this space? So, we, you know, there's some big players, right? You've got Pluralsight. I would, in my mind, Pluralsight is kind of like top, top of the players because they've got right. such a huge audience. And maybe they're, 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 I mean, there's nuanced differences between all these players because they focus, at least from what I can sort of sense, they're, they're really focused on like corporations, supplying training to, to corps, uh, enterprises, that sort of thing. And then you've got, uh, you've got like Egghead and, you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of others. How do you kind of look at and how do you think about, I suppose, competition in the space? And I mean, do you, do you give it much thoughts? Is it something that you're sort of being mindful of as to like how best compete or do you take the approach where it's like we're just going to do quality stuff and and uh and and trust the process that way that's a great question and probably one that deserves a whole episode on its own um yeah yeah i do spend a lot of time thinking about competition and uh, i do worry about what they're doing but mostly when 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 I decided to go pick up Thinkster, it was because I saw the problems with uh, not a lack of educational science being applied in uh, right. in the online course realms, and I give wanted to an, do that. Give us an example of that, because we've talked about that a couple times. What is what's the wh where what's a kind of a concrete example of, of what's lacking in, in educational science? Uh, so the basic, it basically comes down to passive versus active learning and retention rates. The only thing that matters when you go and learn something in a course is what you remember tomorrow so that you can actually do it tomorrow. Right. And if, you're, if we're talking about the, very, the, the passive type of education where you're just watching just a course and just watching somebody do it, the retention rate is 15%. And I, I actually was yesterday on a podcast talking about how to learn things five times faster. Active retention is 75%. You'll retain 75, at least, it's 75 to 90% actually. Passive retention is 7 to 15%. So the best passive is 15. The worst active is 75. That's five times better. So you can mm -hmm. learn five times faster if you are actively doing things. So for most stuff that's out there, YouTube, blogs, your typical course, it's just somebody demonstrating how they're doing it. 
and there's no ability for you to actually implement that hands-on. Right. Now, if you're working on a work project, it's very easy. Like, I'm already working on this on work. I just learned this. I can go apply it at work. Now you're doing hands-on work. If you build your own personal project, but there's this great, I call this the great lie of online courses, which is type along with me. Mm. Type along with me is not active learning. It's passive. It's active typing practice. You are actually actively typing, mm-hmm. but you are at no, at no point doing a thing called a very critical in, in education called generation. Generation is you are given a problem and you have to generate the answer. If you are just mm-hmm. typing the, the keystrokes that they type, you will learn very little because you're simply parroting what they do. You must apply it. So uh, if you want to learn effectively from a course that's, you know, at Thinkster, this is what we do. We we teach you one thing, and then the very next thing is you have a challenge, and it's usually on stack blitz, but sometimes it's not. depends on what the technology is. But now you have to – here's a new situation that's not – the same situation I just showed you. It's a slightly different situation. You have to apply what you learn to solve a problem and do it hands-on, and that's active learning. So if you are working through a course that is not giving you that, then – Here's what you should do. You should have your own personal project and you should consume no more than 10 minutes of that course before you stop and go to try to apply what you learned in your own personal project. And that is a, that can be effective learning. So we're trying to solve that by, and I tried to do this at Pluralsight. I tried to create a course and give it hands-on, but their platform doesn't work for this. Right. That's that's the nice thing about Thinkster is their platform works. We can integrate stack blitz into what we're doing. Mm. And so people can take part of, you know, one video, three to seven, eight minutes long, and then immediately do an exercise and practice what they've just learned hands on. So that's to me that that's my if even if Thinkster doesn't do it, I want to show the world that you can do courses that incorporate hands on active practice and you could do it. Mm. You can create these courses cost effectively. So if that happens and Thinkster is not successful, I'll still be happy yeah. because, as we all know, as a developer, you this is one of the industries where you have to consistently keep learning. So you have to spend yeah. a lot of time learning. And why not make that time – why not learn five times as much in that time? Yeah. So whoever whoever ends up – you know, I hope that all my competitors end up adopting what we're doing. Yeah. Right, Scrimba is a really cool thing that's out there. If you haven't encountered Scrimba, because you can pause the video in the middle, you're actually looking at their actual code. You can play around with it. It's just not as effective because play exploration doesn't necessarily directly to what's most important. So I think it's more important to do that. But that was what we're trying to do is that like solve that science. So going back to your question about competitors, mm-hmm. um, I'm less concerned because if we meet success, then our competitors will absolutely copy us and then we'll just have to move on, but we'll establish a relationship and we'll, there will be people that will just like what we do for what we do. And that's what most of our competitors are dealing with. They're not, you know, courses aren't entirely particularly unique. It's more of this person, ha- this place has a course and this place has a course. And you might decide based on whoever it is that's teaching the course. It's like, I'm a Ryan Chanky fan, so I'm just going to choose Ryan Chanky because he offers this. You might choose based on, if it's Pluralsight, well, for the monthly subscription, I also have access to 6,000 th- other things, right? There's a lot of reasons why yeah. people... So mostly, I would say my competitors are only about a 5 or 10% worry. Mostly it's, I want to execute correctly on do, proving that at good scientific... Good courses with educational science could teach people faster. And then I can beat my competitors because I'm doing something different. I actually have had good conversations with, say, the leader of Egghead. Mm-hmm. And I know the people. I mean, I'm still involved as a Pluralsight. I'm still a Pluralsight author. I have to maintain yeah. my courses. So I know what each of them are doing. And I know that they're tackling different problems. So I'm going to tackle this problem. And hopefully we solve this problem pretty well and the whole industry gets advanced as a result. Right, yeah. That's cool, man. That's uh, Well, I think you're on a good mission with that. That's uh 
mean, I, I've definitely done some stuff where you are engaged with the gen. What did, what did you call it? You have to generate learning. It's it's. Yeah, generation is the thing. Ge learn a principle, and you have to generate the answer. You're given a problem, you have to generate the yeah. answer. So I've yeah. done stuff like that before, and absolutely, it is way, way different as a learner. Um, if you have that kind of learning aspect to, to something you're doing, that's you know, it's all the difference. So that's really cool. I, I, I appreciate that you're you're on that mission, and I wish you all the best uh, with that. I, on that note, we should probably start wrapping up. Is there um, a particular spot you'd um, you'd want people to check out? I guess, of course, Thinkster. Um, well, we'll link that up in the show notes. Thinkster.io. Uh, where where else online can people find you? Yeah, Twitter is probably where I'm most active. So come find me at Joseph Eames, and my DMs are open if you have any questions about anything that we're doing. If you want to come author shoot me a dm or i gave i there was a 10 k raisedev url i gave earlier on at either place cool, yeah. but uh yeah come check us out and um if you or if you want to just chat over twitter about anything including D and star wars hit me up love yeah love chatting about that too that's your yeah that's your wheelhouse as well sweet yeah awesome well uh it's been really great chatting with you today joe i appreciate you being here um thank you very much for you know getting into the uh the stuff that's not always the easiest to talk about too some of the you know the harder times and uh yeah. i appreciate you your your vulnerability and your um, willingness to chat on those topics and of course all the stuff that has gone well as well and i wish you all the success in the future and hopefully we can come on here and do a round two um at some point soon Cool. Yeah. Thanks for uh, having this awesome podcast. I really, really do love this topic. So awesome. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Okay. Thank you so much for tuning into the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast today. This has been episode number 36 with Joe Eames. You can find links to all the resources that Joe mentioned at ecpodcast.io. And there you can also subscribe. You can go to ecpodcast.io slash subscribe. And if you could leave a rating and review as well, that would be awesome. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash coderpodcast.